my son's name was Nicholas, or I guess his, his name is Nicholas Leslie. And he was just the biggest, best present that we could have ever gotten. Yeah, Nicholas was everything for us, our uh, life and our light and everything. And uh, he was an incredible kid. He is an incredible kid because I, I know that he keeps going to live in, an, in the other world, in the spiritual world. You know, we had only 20 years with him, but there were just 20 years of living a life that was in, in paradise. You know, we, we lived, our lives were like a fairy tale, and we lived in paradise in San Diego next to the ocean. Um, and I think uh, the only problem was that, I guess in my own naiveness, I thought that just because we lived in paradise and our life was a fairy tale that we would be happily ever after. Breaking news, what might be another terror attack. This one in France, the city of Nice. It happened on Bastille Day. Reports of several people killed. The city now on lockdown. A big white truck, basically a tractor trailer, drove into a crowd that had gathered on what's known as the Promenade des Anglais. I heard loud noises and people started screaming and shots being fired. It's almost like, you know, like the worst nightmare that could ever happen. You know, like your whole life at that moment just crumbles and you're in denial saying no. And, uh, and uh, when this happened, uh, uh, you know, everything, uh, all my life, everything, I, you know, everything was destroyed for me. I, I didn't think I was going to be able to survive. Uh, I didn't know how to walk this, life, this uh, earth life without my son here. I had a uh, visitation of an angel and he came to the foot of my bed all he kept on repeating over and over and over was look through the window. You know, our son was just not alone. We had two people there the whole night. I, I just want to, to tell to people if there's somebody out there that lost their, their child, they, they are not alone. Hey everybody, welcome to Swedenborgian Life. My name is Curtis Childs and I'm your host. And here's Dr. Jonathan Rose. Hey Curtis. Thank you. So we just met Conrad and Paola Leslie and as they were saying, they lost their son Nick in the, in the tragic terror attacks in, mm. in Nice, France. And in getting to talk to them, I got to a sense of kind of who Nick was and he seemed like this, just this amazing guy. And he was athletic outgoing, social, but he was also a really great student as well. Yeah, such a loss. His dad, Conrad, would ask him to go play hooky and do kite yeah, surfing, right. and Nick would say, no, Dad, I've got to study, even though he was already getting A's. Yeah, and so because of that, he got accepted into the European Innovation Academy, which is a program mm. that takes students from the University of California, Berkeley, and brings them to Europe to, to get involved in programs and things. And so Conrad talks about where it went from there. So he, he went there, um, he's having a great time, met a great group of friends, and then he uh, was supposed to go to Barcelona, you know, right before the, uh, the accident happened, and he, he just went out that night with his friends, you know, Curtis, and it was just so surprising. You know, he went out and enjoying the promenade walk, heading out to a festival, seeing uh, fireworks in the sky, and then this man just decided to do something so you know, crazy, you know, used to, to take this truck and just, you know, jump on the curb and, and just plow, mow down like 86 people and, and, and just, just, you know, just unimaginable, you know, especially for us, you know, we didn't know that it, he was a victim, you know, at first. 
So once we arrived and um, we were flying to uh, Nice, we, we landed in Paris, on Paris and um, Nick was a dual citizenship. He had um, European and US and we had the Italian consulate call us up right there. And he said, we have some news about Nicholas, call us up immediately. And we called him up and that's when we found out we were inside the airplane that, you know, that he didn't make it. And it was like, Curtis, I, I don't know what to say how that feeling is, you know, to, to, uh, it's like the worst thing. No, you know, I mean, you just, you just, it just blows your whole reality apart. And, um, and it was just uh, tragic, you know, for us, you know, we went there, um, we got so much love from, you know, from the students that were there from UC Berkeley, they just embraced us. These kids just did some incredible stuff. You know, they went out with us to his room to pack his stuff. And I don't know where we found the strength, Curtis, you know, because we went out with a couple of his friends to some of the pubs that he went to, you know, and we got to listen to stuff that all his friends said about him and, and just made us feel that, you know, confirmed what we knew about Nick, that he was loved and uh, he was a happy person and uh, he lived life to the max and it's just the pain is just like it's incredible because he had such a bright future and you know so the nice attacks were international news and so we we all the swedenborg foundation became aware of them but unbeknownst to us conrad and paula started watching our show and that had an impact on them you know we immediately as soon as we got back you know we discovered your show and it, it was so informative and it helped us you know learning that there is something else before we weren't really you know, we were Catholics, but we never really practiced, you know, and, and we, and I had this idea of like heaven. I, I didn't really visualize it. I thought like, what do you do? Is, are you just like a light hanging there? Because people say he's with the light. It's like, what are you like a, a hanging light, you know, forever, you know, so it, it helped us a lot. And then um, going through Nick's stuff, I found uh, a notebook that he had and he wrote something that just blew my mind. And then all of a sudden, it, your show said the same thing. I go, wow, I, I'm in the right path. I didn't invest too much time on investigating. I didn't practice religion. But always deep inside myself, I knew that there was something more from this, you know, that it was not, that's it, this life was the only thing that we had. But I never really, you know, investigated. And uh, so when this happened, everything changed for me. And, uh, but I was just kind of a, my heart was a kind of, I guess, open enough, like at the beginning when this happened, that I felt like Nicholas' energy, Nicholas' spirit, uh, it was not gone. Like my son was not gone. I felt it was, it moved somewhere. You know, I just felt right away that, no, that is not possible. It's not possible that my son was here, like a couple minutes, boom, it's gone. And, that, and weird things start to happen, you know, like a, uh, I call it synchronicity and sign that Nicholas was sending to us. And it seems that it was like desperate to try to communicate with us from uh, the other world, you know, and telling us, look, I still alive. My body, of course, you know, died, but my consciousness, you know, I'm somewhere. And that is during, you know, this first week of our journey that uh, we lost Nicholas, uh, that we start to look like, and we found uh, on the, Yahoo Internet, or we found all this show, we found your show. And then, uh, you know, we start to look at this Wittenborg and uh, shows. And then, I mean, like my husband, he said, you were really like, you help us a lot to, you know, at the beginning, just at the beginning of our journey was really hard. And that especially was for me, it was hard because I knew that Nicholas was somewhere, you know, but I couldn't think about 
how was his work? You know, and being like a mom, you wanted to know what your kid, what your kids is doing, where he is it. You know, you want to know. And then when I saw the show, I love the show, the the a day in a in a life angel, I think his name, and the word, the spiritual word that the, the Sweden word described the spirit word. And then you talk about that there is a community, you know, uh, because Swedenborg was doing out of body experience. So he was going to visit the, the spirit world. He was able to go to visit the spirit world and then to describe it to, to us, you know, to wrote all these books. And, and, there is, and then I remember that you said there, is, there are jobs there, there are activity, there are a house. And I was like, wow, you know, uh, now it's just almost a window was open to me to the spirit world and I could like kind of a imagine you know what and everything was starting to click you know so the episode that she's referencing there is day in the life of an angel if you haven't already seen it and you want to take a look and I have to say it's a dream of ours I mean it's a, our, our prayer that this content would have an effect on people's lives but it's still astonishing to know that a concept like that has that kind of impact on people at such a raw emotional moment, such a turning point yeah, in their lives. Absolutely. And what was amazing in our conversation with them was to see that it wasn't just that one concept that, that had some kind of comforting effect. There was a number of ideas mm. that were useful to them in their journey. And we're going to be taking a look at those as we go through the episode here. So of course, Conrad and Paula had all these emotions to deal with surrounding the loss of their son, but they told me that there's this one particular anguish they had around the idea of him not just dying, but dying alone and, and so far away from home. Well, a couple of months after it happened, there was two things that came into their life that helped bring some comfort there. And one of them was an episode of our show that you're about to see Conrad reference. And we mention it because it ties directly into the next thing that came in the form of an email. Uh, my wife, it's immediately it happened like about maybe three months after the incident, she had to go get surgery, uh, full knee reconstructive surgery. And she was in the, in the hospital and I was watching, you know, some of your shows and I was watching how, you know, angel when you're, when it happens that, you know, some angels come down and, and just help you take you to the other side. And, uh, and that gave me a lot of comfort, you know, because I kept on having this image of Nick there alone, you know, because that's what happened. There were just so many casualties that, they, they left the people just lay where they were um, overnight. And then they just had to just attend to the people they could attend to, you know. And, I, and just thinking about my son there all alone, you know, it was just like eating me up a lot, you know. I mean, it was really hurting me saying, I, I just wasn't there, you know, I just wasn't there. And all of a sudden, just when I was feeling so much pain and my wife was at the hospital, we got a, 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 an email from a lady in, in, Paris, in Paris that knew some people in Nice that told them that when they saw all the, all the situation happen, they went down and they were giving water to people and all of a sudden they came across this young man and they saw him and something about him made them, compel them to stay with him. And they asked the police if they could just stay there all night and put candles and pray. And they stayed on his body the whole night. And they didn't know who he was until there was a, a photograph published of him in a French newspaper. And then they put it together and they were able to reach me. So just that powerful image of, a, it was a mother and her daughter 
you know, of that mother and that daughter being there crying and, and praying over my son, I really felt like there was like the embodiment of the two angels that Swedenborg talked about. You know, is there, there is like people that are angels on earth, you know? And, um, and it just gave me a lot of comfort knowing that those people were there. And then just the, how the relationship just between the mother and the daughter, the mother knowing that that's her daughter there, that mother knowing that that's boy that was laying there had a family that had no clue that, that what had happened, you know? And then for me, um, so when I, uh, I heard the story, I just, I didn't know what to do because I, I wanted to tell Paula, but I thought it was just too emotional because she didn't want to hear, you know, like the details about Nicholas being there. Just the fact, taking her to that moment. But I just decided to tell her and I said, Paula, you, you won't believe what happened. You know, our son was just not alone. We had two people there the whole night over him just praying and we just found out about it. And it, it really, you know, brought us some peace. It, it kind of blew me away and it actually was the bridge that helped me really get deeper into Swedenborg and into your program. So that concept of two angels being with all of us, this kind of extremely loving escort that we get as we transition from this side to the next side, this came from an account that Swedenborg gave of a time when he was able to experience what the dying process was like. And he wrote that there were two angels sitting at my head. I perceive that this is so for everyone. This is a universal service. It doesn't matter what circumstances you died under, what, what your life was like. This is something that's extended to all of us. They were completely silent, communicating their thoughts only by the face, so that I felt something like a new face come over me. Two new faces, in fact, since there were two angels. I was able to perceive their thought speech. You can almost feel Swedenborg reaching for terms there because this is such a, obviously, a really intimate and loving connection, but just something even beyond what we can have here. But somehow there's just this really close guiding of, of the angels to, to Swedenborg. And he goes on to say, Heavenly angels were present, occupying the area of my heart, so that I seemed to be at one with them in my heart. Now you just can't get, how do you get closer than that? And the, I love the idea that during what's the most, can be the most chaotic time here on earth, we are so closely and tenderly cared for. And Swedenborg writes that those angels are, are there doing a lot of things for us, but one thing they're doing is, is protecting us to make sure that our spirit can, can move, uh, you know, from this life to the next life in safety. So this is Secrets of Heaven 175. Whenever heavenly angels are present, the scent of a dead body comes across as sweet. If evil spirits smell it, they cannot come near. All the while I remained at one with the heavenly angels held in a fairly close embrace in the area around my heart as I perceived and also felt in my pulse. And I see like a parallel because you, you heard Conrad describing how there, there were police around the, the accident at the time and they're, they're there sorting things out and comforting people, but also, you know, obviously to protect in case anything else should happen. You see on the angelic side making sure that during this transition everybody's safe and that we can get, get the newly arrived spirits to, to where they need to go. So. When Nick died, there were angels with him. I mean, like everyone, he had these two angels with him, but he was not alone in sort of two ways because he had this spiritual companionship, but also, as Connor mentioned, these two people who felt this pull. Like, we, we need to go and be with this 
with this young man on this side as well. As Conrad said, acting like angels on earth. And Swedenborg writes that that pull that they felt, whenever we have this sense of, oh, I, I should do something compassionate or I should help, that's actually a way in which we are working with angels. And this is a little bit on how Swedenborg described that cooperation. So we've heard about the grief and dealing with that, but that's not the only emotion that's going to come up in the face of a tragic situation like this with a violent death. Aren't you going to feel some hate, some anger and so on? What do you do about that? Well, Conrad had an insight that really helped him with that. And I'll tell you another thing that I want to share with you too is about the hate that I had in my heart and, and living something that I saw recently again in one of your shows that, you know, you might have a choice to, um, you know, that you have a choice to live either in a, you know, heavenly mindset or in a hellish mindset. And I realized I was just being eaten up by hate so much, Curtis. You know, I hated the guy who did it. You know, I was just so angry at him. So I had so much hate. And then all of a sudden, I just realized that, you know, that, that hate was like eating me up and it wasn't really doing anything for him. And, and you know, and I, and I just had this analogy. I, I figured that I realized that love was a finite thing. You know, people tell you that love is infinite and stuff, but I knew that it was finite because I couldn't have loved my son any more than I did. I, there's just no way, you know, so therefore I knew that it had limits. I mean, there's just, I, I, I didn't have any more love, you know? So then all of a sudden I realized that if my love was like a stream of water, you know, flowing into my sons, you know, why would I want to divert some of my emotion turn that love into hate and divert it into to irrigate this guy's field, you know, or whatever. Think about that. And I said, no, I go, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to convert love into hate emotions. You know, your, your emotions, you could either make it out of love or hate. So I wanted a hundred percent of it to be love. And I wanted it to be all towards my son. You know, I didn't want to take some, and as an engineer, it really made sense for me, you know, like, why would I divert this water flow and, and take some away from my son to irrigate this guy? That's awesome. And it fits in a way with what Swedenborg says that, in fact, when we have a negative or a dark emotion coming in from hell, that actually occupies the space that something positive wants to take. And when we turn instead to something positive, then we can push that other thing aside. We make room for it. So you really have a choice. It's binary. You face in one direction or another with your attention. Here's what he says in Life 67, 69, and 70. 
He's talking about the commandment against killing, against murder and so on. All kinds of killing means all kinds of hostility, hatred and vengefulness. This is included under the umbrella of killing. As long as we're in this world, we're in between what is evil and what is good and are kept in a freedom to turn toward the one or the other. It's our choice. It's astonishing to think about, but we actually have a choice about that. And here's what happens, depending on the choice we make. If we turn toward what is evil, we turn our backs on what is good. Well, if we turn toward what is good, we turn our backs on what is evil. Now, since what is evil and what is good are two opposite things, like hell and heaven, or like the devil and the Lord, it follows that if we turn our backs on something evil as a sin, we come into something good that is the opposite of that evil. The goodness that is opposite to the evil meant by killing is loving, loving our neighbor. So you could picture this as, let's say, a hose. He was talking about water, and there's just so much water coming in. There's just so much energy there. It's not an infinite amount, and we get to determine. And if you peel some off and it heads in one direction, it might seem quite similar. Isn't it the same sort of water? But if you extend that out for thousands of feet, it's going in a very different direction. That energy of hate is really wanting to tend down toward hell, whereas that energy of love is wanting to tend up toward heaven. So they create entirely different feelings inside the human body, in your mind, in your heart, and so on. And it's really like we have to turn toward one or the other. It also reminds me of a situation with, with trees. I had a peach tree at one time in my life, and uh, left to its own devices, it would produce like 60 fruits uh, that were tiny. Uh, but if you pruned it, you'd get like 12 fruits that were much larger and, and nicer because there's a certain amount of energy. You're either going to put it into all this or you're going to concentrate it. And he was concentrating his energy in a direction of love. And so what did Conrad and Paula hang on to once they let go of hate? How did that work? And, and that really, you know, helped me in, in the path to forgiveness. And, and I tell you, you know, we're just, I'm not 100% there. I'd lie if I told you, you know. Yet, you know, I, I do feel I have no hate for the guy. Um, I don't think about him. You know, that's, that's one, one uh, coping strategy that really helped me. You know, I just, he's out of my, my reality. You know, I just think about my son. We give thanks to what we have and just focus uh, on that rather than focusing on our loss. And that's really helped us out a lot. And I know Nicholas, you know, it's not here anymore physically and I miss him tremendously every day, every minute of the day. And I go to sleep in the night missing him. I wake up missing him. And, uh, you know, it's just, I know. And, but I know that I have to be here. I have to be here, concentrate on this. It's for some reason I, I'm, I'm here. I, like I'm, I have a mission here. And, uh, and, and, and when I wake up in the morning, I have to make like a decision if to go out in the world uh, with a, a open heart and some compassion or with the hate and being, hang, hang, being angered for what happened to my son. And then if I go out with an open heart, I feel like, uh, you know, that maybe I can do some random act of kindness and that would make me feel good and better and uh, be able to... Uh, to keep the, this journey, this hurt journey, and, and be patient that I'm going to see my son when I go on the other side too. And he's going to be there for me, <laughs> waiting for me, you know. 
Yeah. It's really striking that we are focusing machines. And you would think after an event like that, there's only one thing you could possibly focus on. But they were actually able to exercise this strength from, from heaven to be able to redirect their attention and think about it in a different way, think about compassion, and stop thinking about other things. Swedenborg says in Life 72, when we're no longer caught up in the evil of killing, and you remember he said just in that other quote just recently, that that also includes hatred and those kind of dark emotions, but are moved by the good we do out of love for our neighbor, then whatever we do is something good that results from that love. So it's a good work. So the way Swedenborg describes it, it's pretty stark. There's evil on the one side, there's good on the other. And all of us, whether we're in a dramatic situation like that or just ordinary everyday life, have these choices set before us. But it's so impressive to me when someone makes that choice in the face of a horrendous situation, the temptation to fall into hatred and revenge must be almost overwhelming. But they've been able to do it. You can see it in their faces. So where that evil is laid aside, where there's dark feelings, whatever you want to call them, then the heart fills with goodness, with compassion, and even with hope for the future. You remember earlier we were talking about the two angels that accompany everybody as we move from this life to the next life, and that one of their functions is protection. And now we're going to be looking more at how these spiritual concepts can protect us in vulnerable times. So Conrad was in the middle of all this grief that he was having, and while he was there, this thought popped into his mind, which was actually urging him to harm himself. I was sitting upstairs in my patio, just, you know, like just a, a couple of months after it happened to me, like six months, because, you know, for a whole year, we, we just sat in the house and, and cried, you know, I mean, we we're just devastated, you know, I, I, I didn't work, you know, my business kind of like failed and stuff, and, and we just wanted to be alone and, and just crying almost, you know, and I, I sat in the patio and I was looking at a tree that I had and I had this voice come into my head, a perfect voice, my voice made, you know, just very, I was thinking one moment, I was thinking like, you know, getting a drink of water or something else. And this thought came in and said, do you know what would look really good in that tree? And it said, your body hanging from a rope. And I sat there looking at the tree, like listening to this thought and thinking like, wait a minute, I'm like six foot one, you know, I mean, how would that work? You know, there's not enough <laughs> space in the hill. So I was entertaining that thought. And then all of a sudden I realized what I had learned from Swedenborg and your show, you know, and I realized a trick that I think a, a personal thing that you told me um, that when you, I, I just recognized that, that it, that thought really wasn't me. It was coming from a, from a bad place. And I think that you gave me an exercise of saying that, you know, that our angels will protect us from that, but we have to recognize that it comes from a bad place. And as soon as I recognize that, I used an exercise that I think that you told me that, that you have, you, 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 you summon somebody to help and get rid of that. And I summoned Nicholas. I go, Nicholas, you got to help me. And Nicholas said, yes, sir. Just like that one, you know, and I got this vision of him like being little, like 10 years old. And he saluted to me. And I said, and I, and I did what I think you said something in the show about that. You don't even focus. And after you would recognize that it is a, from a bad place and you ask for help, you let that work out, that little battle work out by itself. So I said, okay, Nicholas, take it over. And, and boom, that thought just went. And, and, I, and I tell you, Curtis, I use that now 
so much, you know, because, you know, sometimes you get weird thoughts, you know, and, and I'll be honest, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's not like we're suicidal, but, you know, we often think about like, you know what, um, we want to be with Nick, you know, I mean, it's like, sometimes we say, well, you know, we might have like a near thing, like the other day, for an example, we're out paddle boarding out in, um, out in the bay and, um, and a lightning storm came and we had carbon paddles and there was nothing there. And I, and I said, wow, this would be a great exit strategy, you know, like it would be immediately. And then all of a sudden I realized, well, you know, I said, you know, how could I even think of that? You know, I mean, how could I think about what would it be for my wife to see me, you know, die? And then I would just leave her and stuff, you know, and, and bingo. I, I, right away I said, Nick, I need your help, you know, and boom. And then that thoughts, and it seems like it's really working for me a lot. You know, every time I have a thought, I, as long as I recognize, I go, you know, it's not coming from a good place. I ask for Nick and, and then I don't even, I don't even wait and see him fighting it out. I just kind of ignore it and just move on to something else. But you think about that thought and just how predatory it is and how evil to, to try to tell him, hey, you know, take this step, throw away the rest of your life, harm the other people in your life. But that's exactly how evil spirits are. I mean, Swedenborg saw that they're bullies and really they're evil. This is Secrets of Heaven 1680. Hellish spirits want nothing less than to destroy everyone and nothing thrills them more than causing pain. You can't, you can't get worse than that. And Swedenborg says that that hell is always trying to press in and influence us in negative ways. It is the devil's gang or evil spirits around a person who, because we are unaware of them and what they are like, cause us to identify them as thoughts instead. Because that influence on Conrad was trying to say, hey, I'm just giving you something to consider. This is just your own mind. Just go along with it. But because he was able to recognize it for what it was. That there's power in recognizing those thoughts for what they are. If we are aware this, just because it's in my mind, doesn't mean it's my, mine and it doesn't mean that it's true, then we're able to turn away, just like Conrad was able to. This is Secrets of Heaven 1661. None of us can possibly fight evil and falsity until we know how to recognize them. This is the truth that has to accompany the love. Evils, evil that flows in from evil spirits into our thinking does not hurt us at all if we do not accept it. Because there you see with that concept that came to Conrad. You know, he'd say, and go hang yourself from the tree, but because he just brushed it aside, it just becomes a learning experience and doesn't actually do any harm. Because he, Conrad had to, among other things, understand that acting on this would harm my family. This is not in my best interest. This is not something that I need. And because he had this idea in his mind that this can come from somewhere outside me, it made it that much more plausible to just reject it and move on from it. So turning away from the harmful thoughts like he did actually opens up the way for angels to come closer. Swedenborg wrote, there were quite a few spirits around me who were not good. An angel came and I saw that the spirits could not bear his presence. Since the nearer he came, the farther away they went. So this, we can tune our spiritual antenna in different directions. And it, the more we tune in what's good and true, the, the more difficult the environment becomes for the evil and the false principles in these evil spirits. So they have to move out and move back. So rejecting influences from evil spirits opens us up to this you know, it could be an inner voice, it could be just positive thoughts or a change in mood, but it definitely can, heaven is there. Heaven is always wanting to press in and help us and give us comfort. And we can do a few things on our end to kind of open those channels up. The Lord talks to every individual. 
because anything good or true that a person wills or thinks comes from the Lord. We each have at least two evil spirits and two angels with us. The evil spirits stir up our evils, but the angels inspire goodness and truth. Everything good or true that the angels inspire in us is the Lord's, so the Lord is constantly talking to us. Within love is the Lord, and so far as we have love, the Lord is present. Moreover, so far as the Lord is present, He talks to us. We are unaware that it is not our own thinking. It's amazing to realize that, yeah, we, we aren't alone, that God is not just present in a general sense, but actually can be in our thoughts and our feelings and the way that we, we perceive things. So I feel, find that immensely comforting. We want to talk about forgiveness because we, we mentioned before that Conrad and Paula had to deal with hate and the idea of there's someone that had murdered their son and how are you going to get past that? And it's one thing to stop actively hating somebody, but could you ever get to the point where you were forgiving them in a situation like this? We did a show uh, earlier called Rediscovering Forgiveness where we said that forgiving is not excusing a destructive behavior. It's just a way to free yourself from being controlled by a past event. And Conrad actually talked about being able to let go of judgment towards Nick's killer and how that lifted this huge weight off of his heart. And in that process, it actually got him thinking on a broader scale about motivation versus action in all of us. And there was a, a concept that he'd come across that Nick had written about in his journal and that we'd talked about in our show. And this was a useful tool to him in trying to step back and see, you know, what can I learn about the human condition? You cannot judge other people because one person will never know what motivates people to do the things they do. And then that was like so uplifting for me in that, you know, I, I could have just taken this, this position that, you know, that, you know, what this guy did was just like, and, and it was, it was terrible. It was evil, I guess you could even say. Yet, you know, sometimes I, I, and I know this might sound crazy, you know, to a lot of other people that lost their, their children, you know, maybe to violence, you know, but I think like, what was in this guy's mind that really thought, what motivated him? He had a wife and a child. What motivated him to do such a terrible thing, to take so many people, and to, you know, die also, you know, he, he really thought, I'm sure, I mean, I, obviously I believe that he was just, you know, crazy because I, I tell people that, you know, I could, you know, I could probably convince somebody that's insane to jump off a building and say, oh, look, you know, it's going to be fine. But there's just no way if somebody's sane, I could convince you like jumping off a cliff or something. But somehow this man really was thinking that it was his way to give thanks to God somehow, you know, and it just kind of blows my mind that, you know, I just don't understand. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that, that once I, I realized that, you know, that we are kind of, you know, that we don't know what, that I could never know what motivated this person to do what he did. I figured, you know what, at least I'm not going to judge him and I'm going to let, you know, God could do that. And then once I did that, Curtis, it relieved a big pressure out of my chest because I had this, this, this hate and, and this, you know, anger about it. And, um, but that, that really helped me understand, you know, a, a little bit better. 
and, and, and it really got a little deeper too with my own personal life. You know, it made me kind of, made me kind of doubt some of the things that I had done in my life. You know, I grew up and my mom always would say, oh, you know, Conrad, you're like a Superman. You're a superhero. You could do anything. And I've had the situation where I've pulled, you know, five people from death, you know, from a burning car. One, I mean, different instances, you know, once from, you know, a scuba diver drowning in a lake in Lugano, Switzerland, you know, another one, a burning car in Baja, California, two other people, you know, drowning in the ocean. And I, was, I just happened to be there. And I just did the, the, what I thought was the right thing to do. And then all of a sudden, I started after thinking about motivation, Ernest, I started thinking, well, was I motivated just because of my own ego? You know, did I do this just because I thought I was going to be, oh, look, I'm Conrad the hero. He's coming in to save the day. And I really struggled for that for a long time, thinking like, you know, struggling my own motivations and my own actions. until I finally came to terms, I said, well, you know, you know, I did it. I don't know really what motivated me to do it. It was like a situation I reacted but I, I always wondered, you know, how much was really my upbringing and my attitude, which I, I took through my business career and everything. Like, you know, I felt invincible. I felt like I could do, I could change the world, you know. And, uh, but then I realized that doing those things for other people really made me feel good. And feeling good about life and stuff was, you know, I guess it's a good thing, you know. And I, and I kind of took that up, uh, away. And it also, you know, I mean, it also made me think of some other stuff in my own motivations. Like when I, when I was pretty successful in my career and I felt like, you know, helping other people. But then again, it was like, I always wondered, like, am I helping people because, you know, I'm just like successful? Am I helping them? Because, you know, it's really easy to help when your cup is like runneth over, you know, <laughs> with the water. It's like, there's so much water. Hey, have some water. You know, I got plenty of it, you know. But let's see what happens now, you know, now that our cup is not full, you know, you know, am I still going to be able to give water to somebody, you know, and, and, and we do, we push ourselves to be able to do that. This is amazing to me that, that Conrad was able to, even with everything he's go th going through, do this sort of introspective journey and have parts of, of the events trigger this searching of himself and, and what have my motivations been like. And this is not to justify the whole event, but of course, but is this a tiny little instance of this principle of divine providence that Swedenborg says where, um, you know, good, uh, evil only happens so that good of different kinds can be pulled out of it. So is this one little piece of good that's happening that you see Conrad coming to these concepts that not only are, you know, hopefully bettering him, but you can see he's saying that this is, this is putting him more at peace with, with life and with himself. So we want to close today by sharing one more insight that, that Conrad described having. And in this case, it was one that he learned through a spiritual experience that he had. Yes, like I said, I was very just focused on um, just the material things, you know, like, you know, my job. My son was so expensive for college, you know, we never really saved. So I was like so focused and just getting work and work and work and work and, and building wealth for him. So I was never really into anything bigger, you know, and, um, in fact, I have two stories to tell you about that. But one of them that, that opened up me to the other side was something that, that just took me by surprise. When I got back home and I was just devastated, um, I laid down at around 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, right before, you know, really, really late, you know, right before almost dawn. 
I had a inv- uh, visitation of an angel and he came to the foot of my bed and, and this thing was not, was, I didn't know anything about angels, you know, as a, you know, I, going to Catholic school and stuff, I thought like angels were these little fat little kids with wings and stuff, you know, but this visitation that I had was something thin and tall, almost as high as the ceiling. I mean, it was like huge. And I remember when I saw him, I could not move. I could see myself in bed. I could see my body tucked in. I could see the feet, but I was frozen, completely frozen. And then I said, I just looked and I was like doubting, you know, I go, is this Nick? You know, and then he whipped out and they had these large wings. And then he went three times and, and went like this and I could feel the air in my face. And he didn't speak with me and I couldn't see the face. The face was a little blurred out. But um, all he kept on repeating over and over and over was look through the window, look through the window. And it was so powerful that I finally snapped out of it and I actually got up and I went through the window, physically looked through the window. But I was so out of it. I was like so in a, in a, in a you know, days. I, I looked through the window for uh, you know, my bedroom for like a couple of minutes or a couple of seconds and then boom, I passed out and I went back to bed and immediately again, boom, looked through the window, looked through the window. And, and later, you know, I, I try to figure out what it meant, but I think it, it really meant for me to start considering things in the other side of the veil, like, you know, like the window without crossing over. Because I mean, you could go nuts and, and get so deep into this that you know, you kind of lose sense of reality. So he didn't say, look out the window or look in the, you know, go to the other side. It's like, stay here, yet look through the window that there's a higher reality. And that really was, you know, it started opening up my mind for other possibilities, you know, and, uh, and it really kind of changed me. That's amazing. What a like powerful yet clearly potent experience that he mm. had. One thing I love about it is that he had a certain image. It's not that he wasn't aware of the idea of angels, but he had a certain image in his head. If this had just been something that was concocted out of his own subconscious, yeah. why would it look so different right. than right. what he thought an angel would look like? You know, it was, yeah. it was very different. And so it did seem, and the fact that he was paralyzed, he couldn't move, yeah. uh, uh, he just has to take in this experience. And yeah, so and as, as Swedenborgians, I think we can't help ourselves from thinking about, okay, these specific details, what could they oh, mean? Yeah, what, what are the correspondences? What's going on? Right. So even though we can't know for sure what it, it, more about what his experience meant, we did want to point out there's a couple of really uh, potent images in there, and these would be the wings, the wings. and the window. And, and that just, window, looking through the window. And yeah. we just want to share a little bit about what Swedenborg says about the symbolism of those things. So this is from Seekers of Heaven 8764. The reason wings mean spiritual truth, so there you have your symbolism, Ah. is that birds in general symbolize matters of intellect and thoughts. Wings are spiritual truth then because that is what gives us our ability to understand anything. Ah, so the wings are what make the bird in a sense. It's the spiritual truth that lifts up our minds and makes us able to understand things. Right. Wings also mean powers lent to spiritual truth by the goodness associated with it. Mm. After all, wings on birds are like the hands or arms on people, and arms and hands symbolize powers. And wings are 
powerful, aren't yeah. they? They're an extension of that power of spiritual truth when it's acting in the interest of goodness. Yeah. So very interesting that, and it wasn't revealed at first, but the, then the angel sort of manifests these, these wings and, and is flapping them and he can feel it. And you just sense the power in those wings when, when he's talking about it. So the other symbol is the window, and Swedenborg writes that a whim, window symbolizes an intellectual capacity. So it symbolizes inner sight. Which is what he came to about it, right? Yeah. Looking out through a window then means perceiving w- what is visible through the inner eye. <laughs> and amazing that Swedenborg, what are the odds that yeah. Swedenborg actually discusses that precise phrase Looking that out the angel kept saying, not from or not on the other side. Of yes. a it's just look out through a, looking out through a window. The inner self is what observes things in the outer self. So it sees the truth embedded in religious concepts. And I'm inclined to think that in this case it was like look into the spiritual world. Like in the physical world this is a total random nihilistic tragedy. You know, I mean what can you say about it? But if you look at the spiritual, if you look out through that window and see what's behind it, you can see this in 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 a better light. Yeah, and that life without that perspective that, that includes the spiritual side and the resolution there, life becomes almost impossible to, to Unbearable, navigate. yeah, just unbearable. And so even though none of these concepts, you know, is taken away all the, the pain and the things that, that Conrad and Powell no. are going to have to work through, I just really want to say thanks to both of them for being willing to share the story and, uh, and so glad that the that, that concepts could provide some use during yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's, it really touches my heart. And thanks to all of you for, for taking this journey uh, today with us. Jonathan, thanks for, for hosting. Thanks, and Curtis. we're going to uh, see you guys all next week.